everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, a special 2020 edition. This series, I'll be speaking with leading consultants, educators, and academics who are passionate about positive education to learn from them about their experiences and journeys in creating flourishing students, educators, and whole school communities. Join me as we learn from these inspiring individuals. Today, I'm speaking with Dana Kerford. Dana Kerford is a teacher, friendship expert, some say ninja, and the founder of You Are Strong, a social emotional well-being program for kids. After starting her career as a fourth grade teacher in Canada, Dana began to recognize the complexity and intensity of childhood friendships. Motivated to create cultures of kindness in schools, Dana launched her first skills-based friendship program in 2009. Since then, You Are Strong's whole school friendship strategy has been adopted by schools around the world. Dana is a go-to expert on childhood friendships, having appeared regularly in the media. Dana's also a mum, a true teacher at heart, and she's currently working on her widely anticipated book, which I can't wait to read. So hi, Dana, coming to us from Noosa. How are you? Good, Susie. How are you? I'm really, really well. So I do have to say you are um, another friend and colleague of mine that's uh, moved out of Sydney. I think I might have to (laughs) consider that as well at the moment. But you're, you're living up in beautiful Noosa right now in Queensland. Yes, on the sunny coast. Come visit us. Oh, absolutely. We would love to. Well, thank you so much for coming on to this special edition of Pioneers of Positive Education. And uh, this time, particularly with what's been happening this year with COVID in schools, I thought it might be really Mm. wonderful to connect with some of my colleagues and, and friends, really, that have been working in schools alongside, I guess, the work that we've been doing too. And whether you formally call the work that you do positive education that's okay Mm. but um I certainly can see the connections with what you do Dana and what positive education is is trying to achieve so did you want to just tell us start off by telling us a little bit about your work yeah for those of you who know about positive psychology and and of course positive education we really are focused on the R and the PERMA model all about relationships. So our program is called You Are Strong, and it's a social-emotional well-being program that focuses on friendship skills. So our You Are Strong schools around the world have adopted our whole school friendship strategy to really support and empower the children to create healthy friendships and manage conflict in a really you know, respectful way. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we're all about it. I'm a, I'm a teacher and noticed when I was teaching back in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, my Canadian accent, I'm sure is, is yeah. <laughs> shining through. But yeah, really noticed that my students were struggling in their friendships and it affected everything. You know, they really couldn't concentrate. It would consume them and I'd see it as they were sitting at their desks or at recess and noticed that all of us teachers were kind of handling this friendship stuff in a very different way. 
Interesting. And I know I've had the the pleasure uh, to receive an invitation from you uh, probably a couple of years back now, Dana. It might even be longer to come along yes. and, and see you actually work your magic. And I will say Aww. it's magic. I felt absolutely touched by the work that you do. And I think I said to you afterwards, I it felt like Aww. you've got a gift for the work that you do. You've got this incredible energy that connects with kids and the parents. So the session Aww. that I went to, you you were with parents and their children. But I did notice, and I was chatting to one of the, the parents next to me, and, and she sort of turned and said, oh, my goodness, this isn't just for the kids. We need this for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, or I could take this home and share with my girlfriends or for my husband. And is that what you found as well? Absolutely. I mean, it's really interesting when we ask teachers and parents to just reflect on their lives and, you know, what's the most important thing to you? What matters most? And every single person says friends, family, you know, relationships are the most important thing to us. But then when I ask parents and teachers, were you taught to do relationships well? (laughs) Do you feel like you were given good advice? (laughs) And yeah, we were taught to avoid conflict. You know, things like sticks and stones will break my bones or just, you know, deal with it, suck it up, just ignore it. None of us really were given the skills to face conflict, really, and also the permission to surround ourselves with those healthy feel good friendships. A lot of us were told as kids, be friends with everyone. That's it. And for me, that's one of the most dangerous pieces of advice that we can give our children. Yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts around that too. I mean, I I guess I come up from a generation where that was the message and and I mean, in many ways, you know, it's allowed me to to look for the good in everyone, which has been, yeah. uh, it's a beautiful quality, but sometimes, Dana, I also haven't felt skilled enough to be able to put ba- the boundaries, the necessary boundaries and to identify which relationships are healthy and are not. And it's only yeah. through my own psychological training that I learned the skills of assertiveness training and I spent years using those skills for myself, but also teaching clients those skills of assertiveness as well. So I'm I'm hearing you. <laughs> exactly. And it, it really is. It's unfortunate that we have to go through such heartbreak and pain yeah. and difficulty. And it's not until we're a grown-up that we've been through all this stuff that we actually learn how to set boundaries and the importance of standing up for ourselves and this really important distinction between friendly and friendship. And I think that's, you know, what we're trying to teach kids that we, we are kind and friendly to everyone, right? Cause yeah. we're good people and we do look for the good. And I'm, I love that you said that, but friendship is a relationship that we mm. reserve for those relationships that have trust and respect. That's our friendship pack. Number three, you know, that people we feel good around. So this idea that We're kind and friendly to everyone, but for children, we maybe don't have a sleepover with everyone, you know, that kind of thing. Or we we don't plan a play date with every single one because naturally there's some people that bring out the worst in us. That's right. And that's an unhealthy, toxic, in some cases, relationship. And so, yeah, when this message, be friends to everyone, you know, I think about the child that is experiencing an extremely toxic relationship where, you know, another child is perhaps being repeatedly mean on purpose. Is that the message we want to give that child to be friends with that person? 
That's right. And what does that look like later in life when it's romantic relationships? Mm, yes, you can see the flow and effect, can't you? Absolutely. So yeah, mm. we it is about empowering the kids with skills and reminding them that we're kind and friendly, but friendship is special. Yeah. And just as I was alluding to before, I'm assuming then you do you you're required to do quite a bit of work with the teachers and the staff as well as the students themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about your approach to working with schools? Yeah, for sure. That is a really big part of it. I actually just ran a four-week session with Deakin University out of Melbourne. They're they're fourth year pre-service teachers. Oh, and how wonderful. Oh, it, uh, it was so rewarding because You know, 17 years ago when I started teaching, I had no idea that I would spend so much of my time dealing with friendship drama and it absolutely (laughs) consumed my life. Yeah. I mean, I'd be walking down the hall to go to the photocopier and kids are crying in the hallway. I had no idea how to support my students and parents would email me every day it felt like with it, you know, saying my child's being bullied and what are you going to do about it? So working with the teachers has been absolutely, it's imperative because we need to ensure that our teachers are all speaking the same language and supporting the kids in the same way. Because what we find in schools, schools know relationships are important. And obviously the well-being science shows us that relationships are at the heart of our well-being. And we know that they're important, but yet every school not every school, lots of schools I go into don't have a strategy, don't have a a relationship strategy. So that means that, you know, Mr. James is helping the kids in one way and, you know, Miss Howe, she's calling it something else. And, you know, when we're all using different language and different strategies, that's very confusing for the children. And we don't create that whole school approach. Yeah, I love that. And I noticed, again, I picked up myself attending your seminar or session that a lot of it was helping children and parents come up with some key phrases, some key responses and, and even to the point where they can then you can practice them and they can become more automatic. And I know I used to do that with my own clients, like we'd identify the trigger scenarios where with certain people or family members, and then we'd practice the responses and we do trial runs so that it was much easier when, when they were in that in vivo, in that real life situation. Exactly. And that's really what we do with the kids too. It's uh, They role play different scenarios. And I mean, for example, I, I'm a massive believer in kids' language for kids' problems. So I think that's one thing about You Are Strong. We've really developed a language for friendship to enhance their kind of friendship literacy, so to speak. Yeah, but, right. but really using fun, friendly language. So for instance, we call a conflict with a friend, we call it a friendship fire. And we teach the kids how to put out their fires. But we also talk about what makes a friendship fire bigger. And they really know, you know, they're so good at understanding that. We teach them with mean on purpose behavior. So if someone's mean on purpose to you, we teach them to respond with a quick comeback. You know, psychologists call this a preloaded statement, like you are practicing with your clients. It's in there. It's locked and loaded. You're yeah. ready to go. So uh, that's what we do with kids. But we we call it a quick comeback because, yeah, kids language for kids problems. Yeah. And I really like how you're not using the word bully. I'm, I'm assuming I'm yeah. still, that's still correct. You're using the term mean on purpose. Can you tell us a little bit of, about that as well? Yeah. Well, the word bullying is so often misused. Mm. Not only that, but it's a confusing term for kids and it causes 
not only children, but adults to label a little kid a Mm, bully. And we know the impact that labels have on children. And so we focus specifically on the behavior. When I ask a group of students, raise your hand if someone's ever been mean on purpose to you. They know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's crystal clear language. And so this happens. I mean, sometimes we have situations where we're mean by accident, Yes. right? Maybe Susie, I start laughing at you and I don't realize that hurt your feelings. And maybe it felt mean by accident. But if I looked at you and said, Susie, you're a jerk. Well, that's mean on purpose. Yeah. And that requires a quick comeback from you. You know, you need to let me know that that's not okay. So this word bullying, I really have a problem with. Kids too, they make fun of it. I mean, last year the, it went, there was a whole thing that went viral on YouTube and on Fortnite. The kids were saying, why you bully me? You know, in this funny joking voice. And I mean, they make fun of the anti-bullying days and they make fun of it. It's a joke. They don't take it seriously. So yeah. And I think yeah. for me, again, I've often, you know, spoken myself in workshops around the, the concept of anti-bullying. And we actually know from psychological literature that that phrase is actually an avoidant type goal or an avoidant type motivation, which is research has shown that we need approach type motivations. And what are we actually trying to move towards rather than move away from? It can be much more powerful. Absolutely. And it's funny because that's what we learn in teaching. Like when you go to university, you learn rather than saying to children when they're running, you don't say don't run. Instead, you yell, walk, please. Yeah, like we, right. focus, we focus on the behavior we want them to do. And that is a, a positive psychology philosophy. But for some reason, this anti-bullying thing has taken root and I've resisted it for so long. I mean, we've been doing this program in schools now for 11 years wow. and Sometimes people would call it an anti-bullying program. And we, we do know that our friendship strategy and our whole school program does prevent bullying in schools. But I've always resisted that term because I'm like, no, we're not anti-bullying. We're pro-friendship. Love it. <laughs> and positive relationships, definitely. Yes. But it does prevent bullying. You know, it, yeah. it actually does. That's exactly right. And so the language is a is a significant piece. And you're probably aware, Dana, that at Melbourne Uni, there's some great work going on around wellbeing literacy and with positive education. But even prior to that, and I've actually co-authored an article looking at the use of positive psychology on broader psychological literacy as well. So it sounds like it's all sort of fits together, doesn't it, under an umbrella of, you know, whether it is wellbeing literacy or something more broader than that, but you've got your own language and vocabulary that you're teaching the teachers, the staff and and the students and the parents, I assume. Absolutely. We work with all of, you know, kids, parents, teachers, even the school secretary. I mean, it's that whole school community and really important that we're all using the same approach. And like I said, I mean, the wellbeing science Thank goodness, you know, there's so much coming out now and we're learning even more about the importance of social emotional well-being. But I do believe it's so important to take the academic research and translate it into meaningful yes. language for children because I do see sometimes in schools that that is that missing piece and to me that's the art of teaching is when we take that science and we make it 
meaningful for kids. And so, yeah, that that's why we, we've got, you know, the friendometer and the friendo cycle and, all, you know, cute, beautiful visuals that are very intuitive for children. But again, fun, playful language to help children enhance their well-being through friendship skills. Yeah, fantastic. And so what age do you start with? Well, actually, we so currently year one yeah. is when we begin working with the children. And, the, and that was really once they've settled into school and learned those kind of basic relational skills like sharing and fairness and taking turns, then they're ready ready for friendship skills. But we are currently, we've spent this year actually developing our early years curriculum and that's focused on emotional literacy and self-regulation. So really teaching the kids those feeling words because that's where it starts. Yes. And then our program, uh, we kind of think of it as the early years curriculum is like words and then our friendship curriculum is scripts, you know, taking it from words to scripts and into that social context. So yeah, our early years curriculum will be available by the end of this year. And then we're also, so we work with years one to six, but we also work with high school. So year seven and eight, and we're launching our teen curriculum. I've been doing a lot of research the last couple of years and actually working with teenagers. I'm also working with Snapchat. Oh, wow. They published a global friendship report last year and again this year. So I've been doing some work with them as well. So yeah, hoping to really support kids through these really important formative years in their lives. Absolutely. And I mean, that's where we have a shared endeavour, I guess, because I mean, I always uh, recall when people say, what sort of brought you into positive education? And my response was, I'd been doing, you know, some presentations in schools and a principal had said to me, Susie, if you had a a wish um, or a dream, you know, come true for a senior high school student walking out the gates of our school for the very last time in terms of the key psychological skills that they had going out into the world, what would they be? You know, and so that's where I came up with my, I've got a 6M model and um, mood, actually a lot of the positive relationship skills do fit under to mood, but also mindset that, in fact, they probably filter through a lot of the M's, but what you're referring to, those skills, particularly then when you're entering into those early 20s, but even in dealing in in the workplace. So we do a lot of work in the workplace and I did executive coaching myself for over 10 years and I thought it was all going to be about reaching KPIs to start off with. And then (laughs) I soon discovered, no, it was uh, all about relationships actually. (laughs) So imagine if we can come out of school with these skills, equipped with these skills, how different life might be. Well, and there's even research that shows that you are seven times more engaged and productive in the workforce if you have healthy friendships at work. Wow. I mean, we all have had this experience where we've perhaps worked with someone that we just did not meet eye to eye. You know, we just, it didn't click, it didn't work, and it fundamentally impacts your days when you spend every single day with these people. So, Really, the hope is that we give kids a super strong foundation on how to create healthy friendships, but also how to resolve conflict in a healthy way. Another thing we talk to the older kids, so teenagers, about is boundaries. So we have three levels of friendship boundaries we teach kids through a metaphor that we call, you know, we've got the house, the yard, and the fence. And the house is where our closest friendships live, our best friends, you know, and this is where 
the people you would trust your children with yes. would be your, your house friends. And these are friendships built on trust and respect. You've known them a long time. You have friends that you might not let in your house, but you'd let onto your yard. So we've got lots of those, right? Lots of those healthy green zone friendships. We feel good around them. These are friends kids would invite to their birthday parties, yes. but they'd maybe not stay for the sleepover. You know what I mean? Because right. a sleepover friend would be a house friend, most likely. And then we have other friends and people that we need to keep on the other side of the fence. And these are either red zone friendships, so they're in the red zone on the friendometer, or we just don't know them yet. We haven't built trust and respect, and we are kind and friendly. We wave hello to these people on the yeah. other side of the fence. But when they say, hey, Dana, do you want to go for a glass of wine? I say, I have plans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I kindly decline. But we see a lot of kids who have holes in their fence yeah, right. or are perhaps letting people into their house that aren't in the green zone and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just I'm thinking, reflecting again on the, the years of work I did, individual work, and particularly with a lot of, um, I had a lot of young female clients entering their sort of late 20s, and it was sort of that stage where they were sort of shuffling the, the friendships, if you like, and sorting out which ones were going to continue. And I, I guess I used a similar thing, I'd sort of use the, a circle and look at who's in the inner sanctum, and then I didn't have that, that same language as you, but uh, very, yeah. very similar, and it was, it was so helpful, but but again, on reflection, I think how wonderful if they would have learned those skills at school, you know, rather than waiting to um, their late 20s even. Yeah. Kids do not naturally know how to say no to somebody no. without feeling mean. They think saying no is mean. So we teach them to say no because. Yes. And they need to have a reason. And the reason needs to be kind, but it can also be honest. So if, Susie, you asked to be my partner again, and last time we were partners, we got into a big friendship fire, we would encourage kids to say, you know, if you asked me again, I would say, well, actually, Susie, no, because last time we were partners, we got in a big friendship fire. So I'm going to, you know, go with someone else this time. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> totally, yeah. right? Transparent yeah. and honest. And then what happens then is that now we're having a conversation yes. about the friendship fire. And now we're in what we call our friendo cycle. So we would work our way through putting out that friendship fire. But anyway, we do teach kids no because. And even, you know, they're playing a game and they've even players. Someone wants to join up. They feel bad saying no. But if they said no, because we have even teams right now, and if you join up, our teams will be uneven, that child can understand, yeah, you know. exactly. Such wonderful skills. And so, Dana, in terms of your approach, and you are strong, and I am aware because we've worked at similar schools <laughs> as well, but yes. you do see the alignment, I guess, with positive education. You made some reference, obviously, clearly to the yeah. positive relationships, <laughs> but um, I guess in terms of our work together at Perth College where we've both worked, it can be quite complementary, can't it, in terms of particularly if the school has developed a model and, say, a lot of schools in POSIT are using PERMA. There are many other approaches and versions schools are using, but you can see that you might work with different consultants or different programs, but to have sort of an overarching framework so the school can say, well, Dana's coming in and she's working on the R of PERMA, if you like, but also connections to other aspects of uh, perhaps the school values as well and with then other yep. consultants perhaps working on, alongside in a complementary approach. 
Yeah, hands down, the most effective approach is a school who has a deep understanding of well-being and that kind of, yeah, like you said, the overarching understanding and framework that is tied to their values and their context. And then you are strong is very focused on friendship skills. So we're not a blanket well-being program, so to speak. We dig in deep to friendship skills, but we do believe schools need programs and training like yours, Susie, that's really so impactful and really gives the teachers the understanding around positive psychology and, you know, even mindset. And I mean, there's just so many things that are part of our well-being, not just relationships, but we do believe relationships are the heart of well-being. Absolutely key, aren't they? And in fact, in the early days of positive psychology, I was on a a panel and um, one of the panellists suggested that positive psychology was just the individualistic pursuit of happiness. And um, my response was, well, that's not what it is for me. And um, ultimately, it is about our relationships, but clearly also that the work that you do on yourself in terms of your own growth and development and skill level is going to ultimately impact on those around you. And of course, there's great research on that social and emotional contagion theory now too, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. And I really love the research behind benefit mindset. Yes. You know, Ash Buchanan's research. And, you know, I love that it takes, you know, we go from growth mindset to a benefit mindset where we're not only thinking about how we can grow and flourish, but how our actions impact those around us and how we can be of purpose, of service to other people. And and I do believe that every single person on this planet is here for a reason and has a special gift to give the world and that our job as teachers is just to help kids uncover what that is, you know. And is there any story that you might have that might sort of highlight the the power of uh, the approach that you take? I mean, it stands for itself, I think, but is there any story that you might have in mind? It could be a staff member or for a student or a parent. Yeah, well, there's been so many, honestly, over the years. But I thought I would share my the very first time that I realized that these skills can fundamentally change a child. And this was back at the very beginning. I had ran my first six-week program with my students in Calgary, Alberta. And I had this little girl, Haley, who had really, really struggled in her friendships. She was a sweet, bright student who had opened up to me, actually, about, in her words, being bullied since Mm -hmm. the beginning of the school year. And she really struggled. And that was actually her sharing that story with me was a Friday after school. And it was on that day I was driving to my brother's that I was like, that's it. I'm doing something about this. I'm going to create a club for my kids and I'm going to teach them how to stand up for themselves. And so I ran this six-week club. And at the end of the six weeks, I was teaching a social studies class and I walked back to my desk and I had a little note on my desk that said, Mrs. K, Mrs. Kerford. And so I opened (laughs) it up and it was from Haley. And she said, dear Mrs. K, this student who she said was a bully earlier has asked to be my partner for this project. She wrote, I hesitated at first. I always remember that she wrote that because I thought that was cute. I hesitated at first, 
but I actually think we'd work really well together. Could you just keep an eye on us though? Love, Haley. And to me, I teared up reading that letter because it just represented everything. You know, she now had the confidence to stand up for herself and this other child, this other girl learned to soften a bit in her friendships. And so that was kind of the beginning. I often think back to them, but it is pretty powerful. You know, when you can empower the kids with the skills, they start to walk taller, they make better choices and they, they recognize, you know what, actually I do work well with this other kid academically, you know, so they, to me, that is boundaries, Yes. you know, understanding what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So that's probably my favorite one, but at Perth College, who we've talked about and we both work with, they were the very first school in Australia to adopt our friendship strategy. And Dr. Deb Herich, um, the we head love, of the Inside yes. Out, who, who we love and adore <laughs> so much, yeah. her and I often present at conferences together, but they basically have zero bullying in their school. It is pretty incredible, the data that is coming out of Perth College. So yeah, it's phenomenal what can happen both to a child and to a whole school community when they have these skills. I'm hearing stories because, as you know, we do a lot of work in the workplace. We're hearing stories about the kids coming home and teaching their parents the skills. So I'd be so curious to see the ripple effect back to parents and their relationships. And I'm sure there's lots of stories that you could share about that as well. So, Dana, we are running quickly out of time, but um, I did ask you if you could share a little bit about what you do for your own well being and, and your own flourishing and uh, you very kindly responded and said that fun is one of your biggest priorities yes. and you do see it fall off the priority list as people get older I, I know I see that happen too and, and that at heart you're a big kid and you collect moments <laughs> not things so but I just love that but is there any what's your top one go-to fun activity is there one or, or two that you just love to do I don't know. I'm just so committed to living a fun life. Yeah, and right. and I think it, I mean, every day I have music on. I laugh a lot with my friends. I mean, friends is a big part of that for me because those are the people that you laugh with. So I, I make time to hang out with my friends. I try different things. I mean, you know, my husband and I, Michael, we've traveled all around the world and lived in different places. Like we really like to switch it up. And I love meeting new people too. I think that's so much fun, but I am that person that I'm in every time. (laughs) So, you know, if I get invited to something, people know that I'll be the first one to respond with a giant yes. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And it connects to some wonderful research around what's referred to as prioritizing positivity. And we know that there are individual differences in how much people do do that. And you would be an outlier. (laughs) (laughs) And I know I'm up there too. I consciously and explicitly think about my day and where can I fit, whether it's, as you said, people for me, that's the same thing. Who are the people? What are the activities? Even if they're just, you know, lighting a candle, you know, something very simple, but what are the things that I know are going to have a positive impact on my mood, which then will ultimately affect the mood of people around me? Definitely. No, I think it's really, really important Just in closing, is there a book, and I know you've got a book coming out soon, which I can't wait. When will that be released, Dana? Well, we are in conversations with a publishing company right now. So that will really determine when it comes out. But I've been working on it all year 
2020 has been a very interesting one. So, <laughs> yeah. but no, I'm really excited about it. I want it to, it's designed to be something that both parents and teachers can read with lots of very simple, practical, easy to use strategies as well. And lots of stories. I've included lots of stories from all the schools and kids around the world. But to recommend a book, I know I read so many, but the one I'm loving right now is called Permission to Feel yes. by Dr. Mark Brackett. I've, yeah. had the, I've had the good fortune of having breakfast with Mark. I'm going to think of na- name dropping here, but, um, oh, but yeah, no, he's I'm done amazing, amazing work. So I can definitely yeah. see your connection to that book and Mark's work. Yeah. Well, the ruler approach that they use, it just sounds very similar to You Are Strong. You know, he teaches kids to be emotion scientists. Yeah, we right. teach kids to be friendship ninjas. Yes. You know, lots of different parallels. But if you are a parent or a teacher and you want to support kids in their um, developing their emotional literacy, yeah, Permission to Feel is a great one. And uh, Brene Brown interviewed him on her podcast. Yes. And so even that's definitely worth listening to. Wonderful. H- highly recommended. And of course, if people can go to your website, Dana, to find out more about your programs, whether you're a school. And are there programs for parents on there? Yeah, we actually, when the pandemic hit, we really thought about what we could do to give back and help. Yes. And we felt like the best thing we could do is just make our family membership free oh, wow. for a lifetime. So we've just done that. And so there are hundreds of resources for parents to access, including videos that they can just pop on for their kids. Wow. Their kids can just watch and follow along. So yeah, check that out. And our website is just youarestrong.com. Amazing. Amazing work, Dana. Thank you so Aww. much for joining me and chatting with me today. I love the work that you do. It's so impactful and inspirational. Aww. And we look forward to connecting again once we can at an upcoming conference, hopefully in the next, perhaps Canada for the International Positive Psych Association yes, well, Conference. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping to be speaking there alongside David Bott from the Institute yes. of Positive Education. So fingers, fingers crossed. crossed indeed. You can fly to my <laughs> homeland. I miss my Canadian friends and family so much. Absolutely. Well, yes, hopefully we will. But thank you once again, Dana, and um, best wishes for the future. Thank you, Susie. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, special edition 2020. If you're enjoying the series and you're a school leader who wants to take a strategic and sustainable approach to positive education in your school, contact us at info at thepositivityinstitute.com.au to find out more information about our Pioneers of Positive Education Mastermind Group, which we'll be launching in 2021. In the meantime, you might like to check out my new podcast, The Positivity Prescription, available on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.